1: I'm just a fan. I'm not a football evaluator. So, so, so.
2: Back in '82, I used to be able to throw a pigskin quarter mile.
1: I would be honored if you played football for this team. The football gods
0: are
2: always on the Bears' shoulder. Go Bears! Go bears!
1: <sighs> Boy, that escalated quickly. From NBC Sports Chicago,
2: it's Adam Hoag. Are there any signs that there's a bigger issue of disrespect? Is Jordan Love bad? And from The Athletic, it's Adam Johns.
3: It's clear to me that they're going to make him earn that left tackle spot. There's some good signs there.
2: It's okay to be excited. It's the Adams. The Adams converge. Hogan Johns. And we are underway. What's up? Welcome in. Hogan Johns with you. Recording on a Thursday as we get uh, deep into week two of the Bears GM coaching search extravaganza, let's call it. Day 10.
3: Day 10. If my math is right, and I'm not uh, a mathematician, uh, is that what John Fox once said? No. I'm trying to put that out of the memory right now, but it is day 10 by my counting in my calendar book of the Bears GM search, which is something Yes. Um, did you know? Wait a minute. to 20- have a calendar book. Yes. 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 I almost said heck. Yes. I, mean, I merged the words. I mean, you don't just do that in your phone. I got too
2: much. Too much. many apps? Well, <laughs> the calendar app is usually like the first one that's in the upper left <laughs> corner. It's like right there. It's really easy to open.
3: I'm old school, and there's nothing wrong with being old school here, Adam Hogue. You know, like okay. it's, it's this right. little thing here. Yep. It's good to see it. I, I actually compare and contrast what's going on in the phone with this. Anyway, jerk. Um, <laughs> in 2015, you know who was hired on day 10 of the Bears' simultaneous simultaneous GM coach search? I believe his name was Ryan Pace. He, he was hired on day 10. Um, day 10 of this search. It uh, doesn't
2: appear anybody's close to being hired in any capacity at this point. No. Not right now. Although we apparently have people dropping out and we have a head coaching finalist. Getting Does the second interview make you a finalist, by the way? It's like there's an automatic assumption that it's like you're a finalist. What if they do a third interview? They should do third interviews. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I just, I don't know. I think it, may, it means you get to the next round. I don't know if you're a finalist. I don't think you're a finalist in the Bears operation until you're having
3: dinner with them somewhere.
2: That's what I've learned. And the wives are there. The wives have to be there, too. I don't think they're going to do that this year. Um, Although, at that point, you're pretty much hired, I think, when the wives show up. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if we heard the story of like the wives (laughs) were there, and the wives just got in a huge fight, and they didn't get along, and they're like, ah, I guess we can't hire them. Sorry. (laughs) That was it. I would love that story. (laughs) I would love that story. (laughs) That would be
3: great. Oh, Oh, my gosh. Too much uh booze served at the table. But you know what? Stuff like that happens sometimes, I imagine. But that'd be great. I was a math
2: major. I wasn't actually, but there it is. Um all right. So we do have some news to get to. Uh Johns is writing book reports, so we'll get to that too. He's you, you like you are actually like back in uh where where'd you go to grade school again? S- St. St. Ed's. St. Yeah. St. Ed's? So you got your calendar book that we used to have when we were kids, <laughs> the and, and, you, and you're doing and you're writing book reports. They used to call
3: the, those the old assignment notebook.
2: Yeah, the assignment <laughs> notebook. You buy a new one at Office Depot every year. Oh, I
3: love the assignment notebook. I would, I could go for an assignment notebook. It was very detailed,
2: very easy to write things in. Well, you had a book report due at about 7 a.m. this morning, and uh, it's on The Athletic, theathletic.com slash Hogan Johns, where you can read that. Um, we'll get to that in a second. So a little bit of news from yesterday, a couple of interesting developments, nothing mind-blowing. Um, let's start with the head coach situation first. So we find out multiple reports that Matt Eberflus has been scheduled for a second interview. Um, a couple of things real quick on this. Everyone, I... I I realize and we've talked about it here on this podcast. We are as skepti- skeptical as the it's word back, is baby. as we've used um of this bears search because they're the bears and they screw this up and that's how it works. Um that being said, I have no problem whatsoever with them getting a interview scheduled for Monday, a second interview um before they have a GM. It, it, what, let's get one thing straight, and I don't know if you agree with this, John, so tell me if you don't, but I find the head coach hire to be way more important than the GM hire. The coach is the guy who—and um, actually, I believe this was in your book report. I think I read this this morning from uh, Bill Polian. Um, the, the head coach is the guy who sets the culture, who interacts with the player players on a daily, hourly basis throughout the season. You know, there's interactions with the GM— not even on a daily basis, like in some GMs don't interact with players. Um, Some do, some don't. So I I just think that the, the head coach hire, ultimately that's the guy controlling what's happening on game day, during the games, game planning during the week, having a huge influence on wins and losses. Yes. Obviously the personnel matters, but I think you got to get the head coach situation right now. I'm not saying you necessarily have to hire the head coach first, I'm just saying if you have a candidate that you really, really like and you want to make sure you don't lose that guy and you want to say, hey, we're still interested, you know, don't take the Jags job yet. Let's get an interview on the books for Monday for early next week. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Okay.
3: I agree with you because if we're just going off Bill Polian's book, he called it the most important piece, called the head coach the most important piece. So that's fine. Then don't tell us you want to hire the GM first, and that's your preference.
2: <laughs> but they, you know haven't hired, they haven't hired anyone yet. I know, that. yet. That's, that's fair. They, they that's scheduled fair. an interview for five days away. Like It's not like they rushed one, like, oh, we got to get Matt in here. Matt Eberflus in here tomorrow. No, it was like, all right, next week, Monday, let's regroup. We'll talk to you again. Nice job on your first interview. Let's schedule a second. They may have a general manager by Monday, for all we know. They should, they should try. They should get closer. Um doesn't seem like Iberflus is in a rush either.
3: If, if he wants to get this right, I think he should have a lot of questions for Jaguars. You call them the Jags. Ownership. And the Bears. I would have a lot of questions about yes. both teams. Yes, that's what I was going to say. You better be as comfortable as can be with the teams you're about to join. You should be asking for two or three interviews plus dinner. Maybe some breakfast if you're Matt Eberflus or the next Bears head coaching candidate these two teams have made too many changes over the past decade you could be next so ask for that coffee and breakfast ask for that steak dinner be as comfortable as you can be with your decision and that applies to Matt Eberflus and every other coaching candidate who reaches that second stage yeah so that, that's my right, advice so for you <laughs> for me not for you, for no, Matt Eberflus when he listens to this podcast, because you know he will. Are you offering
2: a steak dinner? Because I'll take it. Where do you want to go? Um. Well, you missed our Manny's dinner in Minneapolis. I did. I did. So
3: it, And now for the Bears, I believe Dick is now closed downtown, so you got to right. have to go out to Oak Brook. It's not too bad. If you want to keep with the historical trend. Yeah. <laughs> for, his team history.
2: That would just be the most Bears thing ever. To find Din- out that's where the dinner was. at Dinner Dick's? at Dicka's. <laughs> oh, my God. Um. All right. So the other piece of news, Ed Dots, the Colts assistant GM, says, nah, I'm good. I'm out. Um. What was your reaction to that? I think he's done this
3: before. That was my initial reaction. And then I had to look it up. Yes, he did do this before last year with the Panthers. And previously... With the Browns? Was it the Browns? I don't know. But he's done this before. Uh, Zach Kiefer, uh, my colleague at The Athletic, said Dodds has told him in the past that he's looking for the right situation before he makes this jump. So, sure, you could view it as a criticism because the Bears clearly aren't the right situation for Ed Dodds. But I don't know if that perfect situation exists out there for anybody. But like we just said you need to be as comfortable as you can be if you're going to choose to work for the bears if you're offered that job to bgm or head coach
2: yeah i mean a few things on this um if you thought that the bears were going to interview what are they up to nine gm 10 gm candidates whatever it is now um and not one of them was going to back out at some point that's just not how this thing works like it happens um GMs usually only get one chance. It's not like head coaches that get recycled. Um, sometimes there's exceptions to that, but for the most part, if you are a young GM, and Ed Dodds is still pretty young, uh, or GM candidate, I should say, you can afford to be picky, and you should be, because you don't want to go somewhere where you think you're going to get fired in three or four years and then never have a GM job again. Um, I want to remind people, too, that Justin Fields was drafted 11th overall. He wasn't drafted first. He was the fourth quarterback selected. It was not unanimous. There was not a unanimous feeling on Justin Fields. So we don't know how these individual GM candidates feel about the quarterback. It may seem like a great opportunity to us saying, oh, you get to inherit Justin Fields and you have your quarterback in place. But these guys might not agree with that. And the Bears don't have a first round pick. So because if Justin you don't. Fields. Right, so if you don't like the quarterback and you say, oh, I'm taking a job where they don't even have a first-round pick this year, it may not be as attractive of a job as some think it is. Some do. Some people think it's a great job. And if you love Justin Fields, you probably think it's a great job. But we just got to understand that it might not be viewed that way by everyone. If I'm a GM candidate
3: and I had, say high second round grade on Justin Fields and I had questions about him. Then I'm not taking this job. Absolutely I'm not taking this job. I would wait it out and try to find that clean slate opportunity. That clean slate opportunity right now could could exist in New York with the Giants. Yeah, with two first round picks. With two first round picks. Now it's not a great year for drafting quarterbacks, but you know what? You can start building around that future quarterback you're going to try to invest in. You want that clean slate. What did John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan
2: get for their first contracts? Like seven-year deals? Yeah, it was a long – it may have been six, but it was – I think it was six, but it was a long – they were longer than usual. Like five years has become
3: almost standard for coaches. Like Nagy got a five-year deal. I wonder if this is the trend we're going to start seeing because every front office type would tell you it, it takes time, especially if you're taking over – a new team with a lot of holes that hasn't made the playoffs in a while. Yeah. Like if you're taking over the bears, at least if I'm a GM, I want five years
2: at least. Yeah, I would say so. Especially if I'm the GM. Mm -hmm. Um, because like I said, they only get one. They usually get one crack at this thing. Uh, all right, the other part, let's talk specific. So what I just kind of said applies to really, it could apply to Ed Dodds. It could apply to, I don't know if it applies to Ed Dodds. I don't know how Ed Dodds feels about Justin Fields. I'm just saying like, these are things you have to keep in mind. So it could apply to anybody dropping out. Now let's specifically talk about Ed Dodds. So I'll go back to some of my own reporting. Um, From the very start, which I reported right after Ryan Pace was fired, my understanding was Morocco Brown would be a strong candidate for this job. So he is the Colts director of college scouting, who's technically behind Ed Dodds, who's the assistant GM. I was also told Ed Dodds could be a candidate, but it seemed like the interest, the more likely candidate was Morocco Brown. And then when I talked to somebody in Indianapolis, it was also told to me that Brown is the better candidate that he'd be the better fit with the Chicago Bears. Now, some of that may be his history with the Bears that Ed Dodds doesn't have. Um, So I guess what I'm trying to say, Johns, is like I never really considered Ed Dodds to be that serious of a candidate to begin with. Uh, and I'm not necessarily surprised that he backed out. And I don't think the Bears are uh, panicking over this in any way is what I'm trying to tell you.
3: They shouldn't. That's why you cast a wider net. I like this wide net. And just in terms of how they've run previous GM searches, refreshing is not the right word, but it seems to be a better process than having this narrow list and working off it. Mm -hmm. Get more opinions, get more feels for different personalities around the league. Hear more evaluations about your current team. Better process seems to be in play for the Bears. Now, whether or not they hire the right guy, That remains to be seen. But the process, while a bit elongated, does seem better.
2: Yeah, and I don't even know that I agree that it's elongated at this point. Like, it's longer than I guess it has been. But like you said, it's been 10 days. Yeah,
3: it's just what we're used to. Like, again, like in
2: 2015, Ryan Pace
3: was hired by now. Right now, Ryan Pace is interviewing Todd Bowles up at Hall's Hall.
2: Like, that's that's what was happening in 2015. This is different. Again, congrats on the job, Ryan. Uh, Todd Bowles is sitting down the hall in a room. He's waiting for you. Uh, I don't know what you think about him, but he's here. So, can you please go talk to him? Can you take care of this for us? <laughs> Thanks. See ya. <laughs> we don't know what we're doing. That's why we hired you. Um, here's Todd Bowles. Oh, by the way, I need you to go to Denver and meet with John Fox. And uh, not technically, John Fox wasn't available yet at that point. But here's your um, ticket. <laughs> but yeah, um, he might be. And uh, if he is, you're going to hire him. Uh, all right. We have been kind of doing this tour, going through different cities, candidates that are up for these jobs. Um, we t- went to Indy last week. Earlier this week, we went to Buffalo. Um, appreciate all the feedback. Seems like a lot of people are enjoying uh this insight going to these different athletic writers that cover these different teams and know more about these candidates than we do. So we're gonna do that again today. And it's time to go to Cleveland. I never thought that we would be going to Cleveland for um, personnel hires, considering the state of the Cleveland Browns um, our entire lives. (laughs) But, um, you know, they'd probably say the same thing about the Bears and Champ Kelly is getting interviews around the league. So um, it happens. But there are a few candidates uh, that we need to talk about that have either w- currently work for the Browns or have ties to the Cleveland Browns. So there's Glenn Cook. Uh, there's Quasi Adolfo Mensa, and then there's Elliot Wolf, who has just w- was just with the Browns uh, recently and now works for the Patriots. So to get the insight on these three general manager candidates who have interviewed with the Bears, Zach Jackson covers the Browns for the athletic and we are going to Cleveland to find out more about these guys all right let's bring in Zach Jackson who covers the Cleveland Browns for the athletic you can follow him on Twitter at Akron Jackson which is a sweet Twitter handle uh Zach what's up thanks for jumping on with us today
0: What would a guy who covers the Browns know about coaching and GM searches? Oh, that's right. I have a PhD. Glad to be here.
2: Yeah.
3: yeah. yeah. Um, We made a joke the other day, like, wow, they're really going to the Browns for a lot of these guys. Maybe they should just like wait a year and they'll all be available.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Now people would show up at them and fight you here in Cleveland if you said that, but yes, that that could be true. Um, You know, it's different. Obviously the Browns have expectations. They fail to meet them. I think around the league, I think there is, you know, some esteem for the front office, for the administration, for what they're trying to build. This year didn't go well. They're kind of at a crossroads uh, in terms of the GM candidates. I'm not surprised those guys are getting interviews. I'm I'm really not. They're you know they both have backgrounds from before the Browns. Um, they're considered impressive young rising guys with varied backgrounds. You know teams are, are building differently. And like I said, we don't know those guys super well. But um, right away, you know Adolfo Mensa Cook. Even Elliot Wolf, who spent some time in Cleveland, I mean, just in, in my own talking to people over the back half of the season, they were they were always going to be, you know, on teams' lists.
2: Well, let's start with Glenn Cook then, who's the uh, current vice president of player personnel. Um, seems to be a relatively serious candidate for this Bears job. But w- what do you know about him? Um, what should we know about him? Why should Bears fans be excited or not excited about Glenn Cook?
0: Yeah, he's an impressive guy. Uh, they The Browns have put him out front probably more than some of the other guys. Now, he's been there a little bit longer. He came in with the Dorsey administration. He was promoted. Uh, I don't believe he's even 40 years old, but he's been kind of a fast riser. So, you know, he's worked with an analytics-based group. He's obviously has a background as a former player, um, you know, been involved in college scouting. Uh, he was kind of the front man on the Browns drafting a tight end, Harrison Bryan in the fourth round out of FAU, who's become a nice player. And he's, you know, in the room, as they say. He is probably third or fourth in charge of the football operation here in Cleveland. So he's been involved with all the decisions they've made over the past couple of years. So I think when you look at it, it's the Dorsey group, which is a complete opposite of the current group in charge. And, and he's been held in high esteem with both of those. So without knowing, you know, what he thinks about certain players or what is preferred. Um, you know, methods are like that speaks well because both groups have have put him in the room and kind of you know promoted him and and held his opinion. Um, you know, said said that it mattered.
3: I'm curious as as you cover those like structural front office changes, and I mean, Dorsey was such a big name around the NFL. Um, you have a Glenn Cluck working for him, you have he brings Elliot Wolf with him. I'm just curious, just in terms of maybe some philosophies that have stuck. You know, from the Dorsey era that you see maybe still on the field with the Browns today?
0: Yeah, well, the Dorsey philosophy was go get the best players and what happens to them or what they did before here or why they're available in the fourth round because of their rap sheet. Who cares? Let's go get them. Let's bring them in, right? Um, now it's more of an analytics-based front office, um, and it's hard to say they're making more patient decisions here 48 hours after the Malik McDowell video, right? But they're much more methodical, much more picky in what they would do. I, I think... You know, Elliot Wolf was second in charge behind Dorsey. Um, wasn't out front very much. You know, we obviously know his background. The guy's been in draft room since he was a teenager. Uh, he was raised as a football scout. Glenn Cook was a player who's been in the scouting business. So, um, and then when you go to Quasi, you know, his background is different. He was an Ivy League basketball player. He's come up working mostly on the analytics side. So, I think, it, I think with Glenn Cook specifically... It's his playing background, and then he's been more of a true scout who's ascended to the vice president type role.
2: So with Quasi Adolfo Mensa, you mentioned his analytics background. He doesn't, unless I'm wrong, he doesn't come off when you start doing the background on him. It doesn't sound like he's like a scout at heart or or a guy. And so is that something that should be concerning in a general manager position?
0: No, I, you know, I don't think anymore that that's the number one concern. Now, obviously his number two and three hires would probably be the traditional scouting. But um, I kind of rambled without answering your previous question. John Dorsey is a scout who just wanted to do wild shit. He didn't care. He was going to trade for Odell (laughs) Beckham. He was going to go find guys that nobody else would draft. He was going to say, I mean, the first thing he said was bring me real players. And in Cleveland, it was like 60%. Oh my gosh, it's offensive. And 40% were like, well, the Browns suck. They were one in 31. Of course, go get some real players. And I think in talking to people now, it's like, Okay, John Dorsey was never going to be checked by ownership. John Dorsey was never going to be. Che- I mean, he hired Freddie Kitchens. That's what's got him got him fired, right? Um, he drafted Antonio Callaway, who scored a bunch of touchdowns and looked great, and then just kept getting arrested, kept getting in trouble. It didn't work. So I think Wolf and Cook obviously have, have worked in very different backgrounds than that. I mean, LA Wolf's next stop was New England, which is the opposite of that. Buttoned down, right? So. I think it's just in how you structure it. I mean, obviously, when you look at Kwesi, he has a scouting background. He's worked in, in the front office, you know, around these guys. But it's his upbringing, his first five years in the NFL, are not on the road. Um, whereas that's probably that's definitely the case with Glenn Cook, and with Elliott Wolf, it's different because his his father was a Hall of Fame GM. Now Baker Mayfield was a Dorsey pick, right? Yes, he, he was, and it was pretty unanimous inside the building. But that was old-school scouting. You know, that's the year that Dorsey was fired and wasn't working. He was going and scouting Big 12 games on his own. He got hired in December by the Browns, and he came in knowing he was going to pick Baker Mayfield, but he was very deliberate. It was a secret. He was letting guys get their own opinions, and they ended up making that pick. And now, four years later, it's like they didn't even consider Josh Allen. What the hell were they doing? But that was a Dorsey pick all the way, yes.
3: I'm just curious then, like – through all this, I don't want to use the word turmoil. That's just what we're used to here in Chicago with. Sure. You know, we had a, a certain general manager, Ryan Pace, who selected Mitch Trubisky without really consulting his, co- head, his head coach. So, like, what are the lessons learned for like a Glenn Cook, you know, an Elliott Wolf? Through the ups and downs of the Browns
0: organization. Yeah, I I mean, just speaking for Glenn, who I only know a little bit, I mean, he has seen the ups and downs and he's seen completely different methodologies in in how to do it. Right. So I don't think that I don't think if you're talking about six or seven people in the room for 2018, I don't think Glenn was one of them. You know, they made the Baker Mayfield pick. It was almost unanimous. They made the Denzel Ward pick. They kind of bucked the trend. Everybody thought they'd take Bradley Chubb. I think a month before the draft, they thought they'd take Bradley Chubb. They take Denzel Ward. He's a top five corner in the league. So, you know, the Browns are very much an analytics-driven front office now, but but Glenn sits in the room. Andrew Barry, who has a true football background on his own, sits in the room. Um, I, I just think it goes to you know what they believe in terms of team building, and I think Glenn Cook is more we're going to take the talented guy. And yes, the Browns are on analytics, but they are ta- they have taken young players in the draft, twenty one year olds, three year college players who have remarkable athletic traits, and they're looking down the road. Um, and Glenn's like I said, he's been involved
2: with both of those. Do you know why Glenn Cook was kept around, but Elliot, Elliot Wolf was not?
0: Well, Elliot Wolf was John Dorsey's number two, um, so. Do I know Elliot or do I know the actual dynamics enough to say there was a fight or a split? No, but it was pretty clear that Elliot Wolf and Alonzo Highsmith, who were two and three under Dorsey, were not staying.
3: Could you see his influence when he was there? We know the Wolf name so well in Chicago because Ron Wolf, you know, he was the architect of those Packers teams that just came through Chicago and did so well. Um, I mean, how would you describe his impact on the organization, even though it was so short and you know I know yeah, he came I mean, up with a reputation
0: you know he was the number two guy but he was very much in the background. I think just the times I've been around him, his nature is he's a little more low-key and when you have John Dorsey and you had Freddie Kitchens for part of that too, right? And you draft Baker Mayfield and you trade for Odell Beckham. There's enough guys in the organization who are out front that LA Wolf didn't need to be. So um, being around Glenn Cook in, in mostly formal press conference settings, he knows how to come in the room. Um, His playing background shines through when he discusses players and, in in methods, but we're talking about a handful of occasions because we have the pandemic that's kept us out of the building. And like I said, Elliot Wolf was hired in February and fired, you know, 21 months later or 23 months later, uh, and that's just kind of been the trend of everything in Cleveland.
2: All right, Zach. Well, you said you have the PhD in uh, switching <laughs> administrations and regimes. Um, if you were the Bears, what would you do? Like, let's say that these three guys, Glenn Cook. Kwesi and um, and Elliot Wolf were the finalists. Not that they are, but if they were the three finalists, which one would you hire?
0: Yeah, you know, I'd probably look at Glenn Cook um, the most. I I just think have I have I been exposed to him the most? Yes, but I think he's super impressive. I would tell you guys that in December I talked to someone in the league who I trust very much, and he said Elliot Wolf is going to get interviews. Elliot Wolf is going to be a GM soon. So, you know, their backgrounds are different, but they're both around the same age. Their entire lives have been in this business. And, you know, if someone thinks, I, I think people think Glenn Cook is ready. So I, I am not in the Bears interviews. I don't know how that's going to go. I think Elliott Wolf's life has been shifted to being ready eventually. I think Glenn Cook over the last five or six years in the business has, has shown people that he's ready. I mean, what, three or four teams have interviewed him, right? Um, you know, and, and he's, I think this is his first time around the interview circuit. But if you look at the progression, it matches those of guys who have previously become GMs and done pretty
2: well with it.
3: One last one for you. We briefly mentioned Andrew Berry, the current man in charge there in Cleveland. I'm just curious, like, his influence on these guys, how would you characterize it? Are there certain, to use the word philosophies again, I know it's only been a couple of years, but just in terms of speaking with him, you know, on and off the record, I'm just curious what type of vibe you get that may be imparted on, you know, Glenn Cook or whatnot.
0: Well, I think very low-key and cautious. I mean, Andrew Barry is a super intelligent guy, and every time we talk to him, he uses words I've never heard before. Right? But Hulk tries to do the same, but, you know. He doesn't doesn't ever answer a question. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And it's part of it is like you understand, and then part of it this year I think through some of the Odell stuff, it's like you guys aren't helping yourselves by not saying anything there. Um, I, I think Dorsey did more of an intentional slash deliberate job to get guys out in front, get them ready for the media, let them talk to the account. I, I think it was more in the Dorsey way that football came first, football came second. We'll worry about everything else later. I think with Andrew Berry, football comes first, but let's look at the athletic traits. Let's be smart about this. I mean, the Browns pace plastered on the wall, smart, tough, accountable. Again, it sounds like bullshit right now because of the Malik McDowell thing, right? But smart, tough, accountable is the Andrew Berry mantra. And I think when you look at Equacy on one side kind of leading the analytics part and then Glenn Cook on the other side kind of leading the football part with Andrew having a background in both but mostly being a football guy uh, is, the, is the way I would explain that.
2: All right, well, we appreciate the insight, Zach. A lot of good stuff here. I think it probably helps uh, Bears fans get a good idea who these guys are. Again, you can follow Zach on Twitter at Akron Jackson. Covers the Browns on The Athletic. So if you're not subscribed, you should be. Theathletic.com slash Hogan Johns is where to go to subscribe. Zach's also part of the A to Z podcast. Thanks so much, man. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Zach.
1: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick Sporting Goods. If you're like me, you believe there needs to be more stylish, functional, business
3: casual men's swear that is both high quality and durable that can withstand your day. I'm talking about maybe hanging out in the press box... Watching the game later with your friends, maybe get a quick nine holes in. That's why men's closets were due for a radical reinvention, and Roan stepped up to the challenge. Roan's commuter collection is the most comfortable, breathable, and truly versatile set of products known to man. They have products for every occasion. We're talking about the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, quarter zips, polos, and blazers. They look great as individual pieces Head to roan.com slash Adam and use promo code Adam to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to R H O N E dot com slash Adam and use code Adam. It's time to find your corner office comfort. All
2: right, Johns. It seems like Zach thinks Glenn Cook's probably the strongest of the candidates. I. Somewhat feel the same way, you know, not knowing these guys at all uh, at this point. But um, just sort of reading the the room a little bit and conversations that I, th- I think we've all had. It, it seems like Glenn, I, Glenn Cook maybe could be a finalist in this thing. I, I guess it wouldn't surprise me if he was. Um, he was one of the first guys they interviewed, though. Speaking of days, what is today? The 20th? He interviewed back on the 12th. So it's been a while. Eight days. Good job. Good job <laughs> on that one. I appreciate that. I was a math major. I wasn't actually, but
3: I, I don't. I, I don't know. I feel more intrigued by Elliot Wolf, to be honest with you. After talking to Zach, really, I don't know if I, I. I just didn't know this, but I didn't know he was Dorsey's number two guy. Down there in Cleveland, or out there east of here in Cleveland. Obviously, we should be familiar with Dorsey. Uh, we should be familiar with Wolf because that—that's the Green Bay Packers tree. Right, and Dorsey was such a strong presence in the NFL for so long, but I don't know. I I, I think it's to be hired by Bill Belichick as a scouting consultant. Isn't that a just a major like
2: vote of confidence for this guy? It could be. I don't know Bill Belichick's relationship with Ron Wolf though. Like. In the connect, you know, sometimes oh, it's like just like he, he did his guy a salad? Like, you know, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I'm just throwing that out. It's not like he hired him to be his, his general manager, he hired him to be a scouting consultant. I mean, the Bears hired Mike Pettin to be a consultant this year. I just, you know, I don't, I, I guess what I'm saying is I'm not going to read too much into that. No, I see it as adding
3: value to his organization. You know what? I could be wrong. You could be right. I see it as a benefit. I like that he has different experiences. But you're right. If, if I had to, uh, Glenn Cook, does stand out to me. <laughs> I'm just thinking, like the the media would there be a media firestorm if the Bears did hire a general manager from like the Browns, the Browns.
2: Um, I, like Ryan Pace came from the Saints. He won a Super Bowl. It, it would definitely be something held against them the second anything goes wrong, right? Like in the same way that it was held against Matt Nagy that he really didn't have any play-calling experience, and they blew that playoff game. Right? you well, know. Matt Nagy, at least, just in terms of public perception I'm talking about,
3: Matt Nagy came from the Chiefs, from yeah, the no. Andy Reid tree. The Andy Reid tree has produced plenty of good head coaches. Now those guys had different experiences outside of Andy Reid that Matt Nagy did not possess, but at least he was from that Reid tree. The Browns are the Browns. I don't mean to keep ripping on the Browns. I know the
2: Bears are the Bears, but... I agree with you. And, and it's the same thing like if the Raiders were to hire Champ Kelly, I like Champ Kelly, but it would probably be received the same way. Wait a minute. This guy, you hired a guy who was just part of a regime that got, got fired, that got blown out. with the, And they weren't good in Chicago. It's like that's what they would say in Las Vegas if you were to go out and hire Champ Kelly. So I get I that. St- I
3: still like the idea of hiring a GM from a successful franchise. Now, I want that candidate to have more experiences outside that franchise. I think that's where I've come to realize maybe they were a little bit short-sighted on Ryan Pace because he was specifically just with the Saints. But I still like the idea of hiring somebody who's been around success, knows what success looks like, knows what a winning team looks like, feels like, and
2: operates. And Elliot Wolf qualifies as that. Um, plenty of success with the Packers. I, I actually, because I've said this with Brian about Brian Dable too, like the fact that he went to the Browns and it didn't work out. There's lessons to, to learn there, and now he's with the Patriots. So it's a resume that I think would be pretty impressive. I'd like to know why he was passed on for the GM job all those years in Green Bay for Brian Gutekunst.
3: So many good candidates, though, didn't they? I mean that was they did, yeah, an impressive scouting staff at one point. Reggie McKenzie, Elliot Wolf, John Dorsey, John Schneider.
2: Come on, yeah. Um, no, oh, it was impressive. All right. Well, we'll see where this thing goes in the in the coming days. Uh, Morocco Brown is interviewing today at Hall's Hall. This is Thursday as we record. Um. And I don't know how you... It seems like you're getting a little antsy, Johns. I'll say this. I would feel better about the whole thing if they had a GM in place by the end of the weekend. And I don't know if that's going to happen, but if you have a second interview scheduled with Matt Eberflus on Monday, and there's... I don't know who you're picking in the Bills-Chiefs game, but that game could have ripple effects. In this whole thing, not only for the Bears but for other teams, if the Bills lose. Because I feel like Brian Dable's getting one of these eight jobs. He has yeah. to. Yeah.
3: I, I guess like And Leslie
2: Frazier might too.
3: Like here's my my question about this. Like a lot of these guys aren't in the play like these GM candidates, their teams aren't in the playoffs. So what I I, I like the process. Could it be sped up a little bit? Maybe. Mm -hmm. But like, why is Morocco Brown pushed back now to to today when he was scheduled for two days? I know there's a lot of moving pieces. Maybe some interviews run longer than others. But a lot of these guys, their teams aren't in the playoffs. So you wonder what's going on a little bit just in terms, are they dragging their feet a little bit too much? Again, I like the process, but I think at this point, Adam, after 11 years covering this
2: team, everything is fair to question. Everything. Oh, yeah. Totally agree on that one. They're, absolutely. Um, all right, let's get to your book report. What uh, Did you get an A-plus? Well, it's on the Athletics, so I passed. Okay. Oh, it's a pass-fail grade. Pass-fail grade, yeah. If, so pub- the athletic- if they didn't publish it, then it would have been a fail. So I'm not going to bore you with the book report
3: a little bit. Um, I'm going to try to get through this. I don't know, promptly. I want to hear what you think about some of these things. So this isn't the book that George McCaskey mentioned. That That's like my favorite part of this, is he, he highlighted this like Super Bowl blueprints book. But then I came across this Bill Polian game plan book. And literally in chapter two, it outlines 11 guidelines for hiring the right coach. <laughs> like,
2: So was he referencing the wrong book? No, no, no. He referenced the more the current book but was this what he was really trying to get get at is my point maybe you you would think like literally like, well chapter- this makes more sense yes
3: yes yes chapter two deciding on the decision maker
2: <laughs> I mean I would hope that's the book you're referencing yeah yeah so I think you referenced the wrong one literally the first sentence of this <laughs> chapter
3: hiring the right head coach is the most important piece to building a successful football team.
0: Thank you. <laughs> and that's the facts. That's that's 100% truth.
3: I mean, that's a bold argument. Yeah, yes, yes. Get it right, and you have a good chance of being successful for a long time. Get it wrong, and you will likely find yourself going backward in a hurry. It will cost you two things you never get back, time and money. Those are the words of Bill Pulling.
2: I agree. That's why. That's why... Regardless of who gets hired first, they got to get the head coach right. All right, let me throw some of this at you. So number one
3: is organization. That ranges from how he organizes his playbook to his practice plans, from year-round staff assignments to his off-season program. Each of those areas and many more must be laid out in writing and explained completely, step-by-step, especially with a candidate who has never been a head coach before. Your thoughts?
2: Well, I—I I mean, yeah, I—I agree. I, I agree
3: with that. It, you know what? I, I, you know, I, can I? The first thing I thought of was Mark Tressman planning out the calendar from his first day in the job to the Super Bowl parade held on Michigan Avenue. <laughs> yeah. Well, how'd that work out? Do you think he had a date book like me? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yes. I imagine one of the big, well, like one of the big ones.
2: By the way, have you seen... Not to change the subject, but you, have you seen this guy, Mike McDaniel, with the 49ers? Oh, I saw you tweet about him. The OC? He looks fun. He's funny Mark Tressman. I think. <laughs> <laughs> he. I, I think he's funny Mark Tressman. He just comes off as like this total... Like, I would say cool Mark Tressman. <laughs> yeah, maybe cool. I don't know. He looks like he should be playing like uh, Halo or something, like on an Xbox. I don't... But he's the OC. He's... I love his. By the way, I'm not making fun of him. I love his background. Um, I was telling my wife about him, and like the conclusion was, he's like the closest thing to me for an actual NFL coach, like this like (laughs) nerdy football guy who has doesn't have a playing background, and so that's probably why I'm drawn to him. But he's he's funny, Mark Trestman.
3: You want the football version of you, or the professional football coach version of you? to be hired
2: it's understandable well he'd be way better than me that's for sure i just you know let me see if i can uh first of all you have to see him just me playing the audio really would not do it justice um but since this is a podcast we could still try to do that let me see if i can uh bring it up here so this is like uh highlights from his press conferences like little cuts from it over the past uh, year here we go
4: excited to be here uh Equally excited for you guys to truly take in how physically imposing I am, so wh- Whenever you guys are ready to start, let's do it Guys again What, what do we got? You got? guys got anything going on? Just hanging out in an auditorium? Alright Just gonna drag it out of me, huh? God Makes you do all the work. What do you guys got for me? I'm sorry, I apologize probably... <laughs> <laughs> Alright, see you guys so, how are we doing? What do we got? That's a cool question because that's um, that's kind of how pass, your pass game you want it to be. There's a rhythm and timing to everything. We have a history of smaller offensive linemen, um, but that's uh, really, we haven't invested second-round draft picks into offensive linemen. We'd prefer everyone to be 400 pounds and... Six ten. If if you could if you could engineer that,
2: okay. so that was fun. So that was fun. I mean, let's be honest. My only criteria for this thing is entertaining press conferences. Yes. So yes. work with I, us. <laughs> I, I don't care if he's a good head coach. I want him hired because I could. That would be awesome every single day. Have a guy come up there. What's up? I think the Dolphins. Gave him an interview, so he's Kyle Shanahan's OC, and he's basically been everywhere with Kyle Shanahan. He's Kyle Shanahan's guy. I guess that would be one of your red flags that he hasn't really been. Yeah. Well, because he's not a candidate. Yeah. Okay. I just, I just, I just you like him? To... He's your. Oh, he's hilarious. He's, a, he's, a, he's on your short list. Well, he wasn't, but now he is. Now he's at the top. <laughs> I put him ahead of Sean Payton now. Anyway, continue with the book report. I, I agree that, yes, you should have a plan, but I think we've... And you pointed this out in your story, like, I don't... Mark Trestman had a plan. It didn't work. Yeah. Matt Nagy I, I, changed, I also, changed his plan every single hour, and all that the didn't time, work. All the time. All the time. All right, number two. This is actually
3: the shortest section of the 11. Leadership. Does he have the philosophical approach, verbal skills, physical, preference, physical presence, so Mike but Daniel will be ruled out, according to him? No? Yeah, okay. Probably. Stability and courage to lead and motivate the coaching staff, the players, and the support staff. Makes sense. Number three, communication. Does he have good verbal skills? Does he listen? Does he respond to questions in a thoughtful way? Or does does he just tell you? Or does he just tell people what to do? Is he open to suggestions? Can he interact with ownership, management and other departments on their terms? Keep going. Yeah. Emotional stability. Can he function well under pressure from the players, staff, ownership, fans and the press? Does he remain cool on the sidelines? Does he remain composed, organized and does he take the lead at halftime? Does he genuine does he use genuine anger? As a motivational tool, or does he, or does he come apart when he's frustrated? I like this one. Is he coherent in his remarks to the players, staff, ownership, and the press after a loss? Does a loss stay with him too long?
2: That I mean, that's a.
4: Yeah, I think. Um, I think
2: you know, you know, well done. It'd be well said. So not John Fox.
3: You know, I actually thought about this now. I didn't, I didn't put it in my article. But I think we've always thought, you and I have always thought, that the double
2: doink stuck with Matt
3: Nagy far too long.
2: Yes, that's a great, no, that's a phenomenal point. Right? It. it I think it also clouded their... evaluation of how close they actually were. Correct. I think it told... Exactly. You said that well. Never mind. <laughs> because... No, let, let yeah. me say this. Because because I think there's always been this assumption that they go to LA and win the next week because they had already beaten the Rams. And I've never thought that. You know, and maybe someone will pull up some clip from 2018 where I thought maybe they could win. But, you know, I think looking... Maybe it's, maybe it's in hindsight, knowing what we know now. But the reality is... When you actually look at what that team was doing and how much the defense benefited the offense, and even in that that win against the Rams was one of um, Trubisky's worst games, actually. And I think the cold weather definitely played a factor. So, And I think it would have been a completely different game in L.A. And did you have in your story that he broke his foot in that game? No, he tore the... Uh, Oh, yes, planner fascia, Trubisky did. In in that playoff game. So he would not have been 100% the following week. I guess my point is, let's say the do- double doink goes in. It's a single doink, and it doinks in. What if they lose by 14 points the next week? Do, do, do they have a different outlook or evaluation of their own roster to realize that they weren't really as close as they thought they were? Does that make sense? Absolutely, it does. Because like, look at the Arizona Cardinals right now. The story this week, right now, as they go into their offseason, they were, what, they were 7-0 and right at one point? And they lost to the Packers. Very close game. Kyler got hurt. And they're thinking, oh, yeah, you know, we're there. We're on the doorstep. But then they get to the playoffs and they realize, oh, man, no, man, we're really not as no, close as not. we thought. Yeah. So I'm just – I do – I I agree with you. I like. I feel like one, the sting of that loss and what happened afterwards with like the Today Show and everything like hung with Matt and Aggie too long, and I think it also clouded their realistic view of their own team. Number five,
3: vision. This is the most important quality of them all. Bill Polian writes, does he have a clear picture of how he wants his team to look and play? can he articulate it verbally and in writing my first thought on this was john fox knew exactly what he wanted his team to be the first two years boring <laughs> yes <A> siesta <laughs> but you know what i mean yeah i know ball control run the ball limit mistakes play good boring. defense Um, that changed with Trubisky, but I mean, how I mean, how yeah, a little bit. How often was like Tresman asked, What's your identity? Nagy was asked that like every single year. I feel like,
2: Oh, Nagy never had an identity. Mm -hmm. I mean, but I would hope that that's actually out of all the things you've read so far, I think that's the most important to me. Well,
3: Bill Pullion would agree with you because that's what he said, too.
2: (laughs) Yes, (laughs) yes. You know, I'm on board with Bill Polian now. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Number six. I think this is a noteworthy one. Strategy. Is he mentally prepared to make decisions on the sideline or does he react? Does he have direct responsibility for key strategic decisions? In other words, is he the guy making them or is he going to lean on somebody else? He's got to be the one to decide whether to go for it on fourth and goal
2: yeah take ownership of that you know but I still think it's okay to ask for input of course but I would hope when you're doing that you're thinking one step ahead so like you're let's say it's like second and goal at to seven right you're you're thinking a couple downs ahead all right like if we get if we get down inside the three are we going for it on a fourth down what do you think you know you can ask your offensive coordinator what what play do you want to run but then, yeah, once you get to that down, there's not enough time. You better, you better know what you're doing and do it with conviction.
3: Yeah, interesting part of this, uh, this section. Poleon writes, The head coach must be able to coherently explain the decisions he made during a game because the press obviously is going to have questions. Ownership is going to have questions too. And his explanation must demonstrate that he thought it all out.
2: I can't answer that. I mean, this is like, I don't know, horse racing.
3: (laughs) Seven, flexibility. Can he adjust to changing trends in rules, personnel, opponent schemes, personality, or culture of players? Then I ask two rhetorical questions. First, can he change the nuts and bolts of his program to adjust to circumstances without changing the Without changing his approach to the fundamentals. Secondly, can he be flexible and take advantage of circumstances, or does he have to buy someone else's program, lock, stock, and barrel? Okay, I think we saw that play out.
2: Yeah. So, where are we at? Eight. Eight. You want to get you want to get through the last ones. Eight. I think You want to go. No, 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 no. What I think the point is, though, is that it is very, very hard to find a candidate who actually hits all 11 of these. Yeah. Right? And I'm actually trying to think of current head coaches, like who actually falls in that category. So keep Brian Flores in mind on this, because there's a few
3: more. Because if you listen to what I'm saying, or you read this chapter of the book... Like, is he a serious candidate or not? Just keep that in mind. Ability to judge talent. This was the longest chapter. This
2: this, in terms of scouting and free agency. Wait, can uh, I stop you for a second? And go back to... Because to, you brought up Brian Flores' name. I don't think he hits all these. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, okay. That's yeah, what I'm I, saying. There's a yes. couple things in there that I... I one is like... Now, I don't want to judge everything off what they say in the media because Bill Belichick doesn't say anything in the media. And I think behind the scenes, he probably does explain things clearly. Um, but I don't know. Like, one thing, like, Flores doesn't hit that one for me. Um, what was the one? You had another one earlier, too, like how he gets along with other people. Or is it just his way or the highway? That wasn't exactly how Bill put it in the book. But, like, you know like what go
3: getting. back to, like, leadership. Like, Motivating your coaching staff. Matt Nagy had a lot of changes. Brian Flores fired two offensive coordinators after one season each. Like what's going on? And
2: you mentioned one of them, Chan. You know what? I and I don't. I was told that Chan Gailey actually left on his own because he wanted out. Yeah. Why? So, I mean, I it, regard the semantics, I guess, like, you know, between fired or leaving on his own at that point doesn't really matter, but I actually think it does matter a little bit. Like if he wanted to leave, and if he did, he probably left some money behind then, too. Um those are questions that need to be yeah. asked.
3: Yeah. Anyway, so this this chat, this part, this guideline is is by far the longest. Um some highlights, the coach has to be able to articulate to the scouting department exactly what he wants in the way of players. Um, he mentions having uh, an understanding of a salary cap, just how the roster changes every single year to know what you're looking for out of certain players. But this line stood out to me. This is from Bill Polian. It's up to the GM to make sure he is on the same page as the head coach. The head coach has to worry about coaching the team. He has to worry about getting the team ready to play. He has to answer for everything that goes on. Everybody else in the building has to support him, and that's especially true from the beginning of training camp until the end of the season. We strove to make sure that when we went to training camp, we had a team that everybody felt good about. I agree that talent is a huge part of it. Number nine, public relations. Essentially, it boils down to can he handle himself well in the media that he's forced to endure these days? I wouldn't disqualify someone if he wasn't good at that as long as he was willing to work with a professional who would coach him up and help him through what really is a trial by fire every day. That is particularly true in Chicago. Now, now I don't feel bad about getting on the Bears for having those mock press conferences
2: a little bit after reading. That. No, but you know, I again, I, I think the key is to find a guy who can hit on as many of these as possible, because on that one too, you, you had you, Nagy was good at that. Nagy was good at that, and and it didn't matter, and then. You know, there's some unfamiliar area or unfamiliar or whatever that word is, non-familiar. Um, uh. So you had it both ways.
3: I think with the way the Bears operate, and this is an underrated factor just for them, like the, the GM stays well out of the spotlight. George Vikaski does media twice a year after the season. Okay, maybe three times a year after the season. When the new coach or GM is hired, and then with a few of us at the NFL annual meeting. Only times he talks. By far, the most consistent voice, just in terms of how much this person talks, is the head coach. Face of the
2: team. Number. Oh, I thought you were done. You have another one? How long was this book? God. Just two Just
3: more kidded. player respect. Does his knowledge, leadership, teaching ability, approach the squad morale and discipline, and his personal habits and dignity earn player respect? Do they look up to him? Is his approach th- to discipline fair? Does his personal bearing, conduct, and dignity, which encompasses work ethic, temperament, personal habits, etc., generate respect from the players? Not liking, but respect. That's huge, yeah. Absolutely. Number eleven. If you don't have your players' respect, you're you got no chance. You're out. Which brings you like again, Brian Flores. Why does Tua not like you? Yeah. Why may not he respect
2: you? Fair question.
3: Doug Peterson. What the F happened
2: with Carson Wentz? Yeah, in that case, I wonder if it's a little bit more Wentz, but yeah, fair point. Number eleven. It boils
3: down to one thing: do you want this man as a standard bearer for your franchise? We know full well that we're all human beings and we all have flaws and we all have difficulties in our lives. We're not asking for St. Francis of Assisi here. <laughs> the Catholic school kids in us should yeah, know that reference
2: well, um unless I missed it. did you mention previous head coaching experience? Was experience really even talked about? Uh, No,
3: but I think if you like go to strategy and vision, I think those highlight the need for experience.
2: Sure, sure. I think yeah. I but I'm I'm trying to think of it in terms of if this is the criteria the Bears are going.
3: No, it's it's not as exact as like the Bill Parcells criteria for drafting quarterbacks, where he wants like this many starts. You don't have that.
2: I'm just saying if there was like one of those was like must be experienced, must have been through the wars, like all that, I would be like, oh, well, then, it, you know, they're probably going to hire a guy who's done it before. In this case, like, I, I guess hearing all that, and I, and I also read it this morning, not the book, your book report, um, I could see why Matt has got a second interview. From what I've heard about him, from what I've read about him, um, seems like his interview went well. I think you can assume that if you got a second one. Um, You know, one of the things that's really stood out to me about Iberflues, from what I've heard, is just he's got... He's almost got a little lovey Smith to me, defensively, in some of the principles they believe in and what they constantly talk about, gang tackling, um, yeah, that stood out to me from our
3: conversation with Stephen Holder.
2: Yeah, and I found a video uh, where he was mic'd up for a Colts practice that I watched, and he was just talk constantly talking about punching the ball out, like every single time, like punch the ball out. Um, so, I, I just going off those eleven things that you talk, that you talked about in, in your piece, like I, I can see why Eberflus. It checks a lot of the boxes. Because, again, I don't know that you're going to find a guy who checks all 11. But you want to find a guy who checks the most. One question I got from this is, okay, that has the head coach,
3: but what about GMs? I would imagine Bill Pullian wants to hear about some of these characteristics, some of these guidelines from his from the GM candidates. Like, if, if I'm a GM candidate, here you go. Read The Athletic. Here's 11 guidelines that... Bill Pullian is looking for and what you should do at head coach.
2: Well, if there's a book on the uh things he needs from a GM, you have you can add it to your Simon notebook. And <laughs> no, it is
3: due Monday. No, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. Now, truth be told, I always skim the rest of the chapters, but number two, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> That's
4: one.
2: Yes. But gosh Where, darn it. Give me the cliff notes.
3: I mean, it, it, you had a chapter deciding on you know deciding on a decision maker, you know, and you, you lay out eleven of these things in, in bold print. Oh, come makes on,
2: for like, easy reading. You read what you need to read to get the A on the test, and then, yeah, come on, you don't need the right. They give you these four hundred word textbooks. You know what? This is a serious thing. One of my favorite classes I've ever taken was a weather and climate class at the University of Wisconsin because. God bless this professor. I wish I remembered his name. He was great. But he said, instead of going to the bookstore and buying his big-ass book, okay, (laughs) you need to go to the uh, copy store where there are, you know, how many people were in the class? Like 50 or whatever copies of a shortened version of the same textbook. Like he had gone through, he took out the stuff that we needed from this big textbook, and condensed it into like a 50-page like bounded thing, like kind of the cliff notes. Like he yes. kind of made the cliff notes of the the thing because this is what you really need to know. And then every class was like a chapter from his shortened thing. And if you actually read the thing, which instead of it being 20 pages a night was like five to seven, if you read it, there was a quiz every single class. If you read it, you would get hundred percent on the quiz. Like he wasn't trying to trick you; he was just trying to get you to understand the information. And I'll tell you what: like to this day, when I like watch the weather channel or I see like weathers coming in, like there are things I remember from that class that I don't remember half of stuff I learned in the journalism school. Why didn't you become a weatherman? Well, see, it's, I could have used a, my it's journalism a job. I could have, I could have, you know, you have to like, you have to go to the school for that forever. You can't just, you have to actually become a meteorologist. You You can't can't just, just you just can't read the cliff notes. You can't be like, yeah, I aced weather and climate 101 at Wisconsin. So can I be the weather guy? I don't know.
3: You know, these weather folks are wrong all the time.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Careful now. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So anyway, I appreciate what you did. But
3: yeah, like, yeah. There's a bunch of stories about Marv Levy in the Canadian Football League. That doesn't apply to today. That's that's my point.
0: It
2: might, since this franchise is known for hiring coaches from the Canadian (laughs) Football League. You might want to circle back and read those ones, (laughs) No, I'm trying to learn from the past. (laughs) Hopefully the Bears are too. Uh, That seems like a good way to end this thing. Uh, Follow us on Twitter, at Adam Hogue at Adam Johns. Read his piece on The Athletic, theathletic.com slash Hogan Johns where you go to subscribe. Um, and then uh, you can read me at NBCSportsChicago.com. Get all my coverage there. Uh, plenty more to come this week. Uh, YouTube, that's where we are. You can watch us on YouTube and subscribe. Hit the notification button. Oh, you got the JD sweatshirt on today. I got it. shirts.com. I got our walking bear hat check these out the winter hats i'm telling you man the winter hats are warm it was so cold this morning i was wearing <laughs> the beanie Need when i went out of the house this morning eight degrees in chicago it's got like a little like furry inlining I'm telling you it's like the warmest winter hat you can get so obvious Uh find those all up there sweatshirts the whole deal t-shirts uh we appreciate all your support so uh We'll see what happens in the coming days. I feel like, don't you feel like this thing should heat up in the next few days?
3: Yeah, you might get an emergency podcast, but we're scheduled to come back on Tuesday. Yeah, after Iberflus's—I I like that name, Iberflus—after his second interview on Monday. Um, but hey, you never know. Yeah, could have an emergency podcast Saturday.
2: Kind of busy on Saturday, so bears, you know, maybe do it. Well, what's like on that. what's on deck on the assignment notebook on Saturday?
3: Oh, it's right here, actually. We got uh, got basketball at 11. We got basketball basketball at 11. We got baseball at 12.30. And we got soccer at 3. Okay. So, Bears, George, wait until Sunday. When I only have baseball
2: at 145 and 4. I mean, I think that they... Now, see, if you had this on your phone in your calendar, you could sync it to George's. You could send it to George. Say, this is my calendar. Sync it to yours. Don't screw up my basketball schedule. You know, whatever. It's a good idea. I'm just telling you. You can't do that with a Simon (laughs) Noble.
3: I'm going to regret saying I had one, but... I like it. (laughs) Don't care. Don't care. I I can't do the Cutler
0: voice. Don't care.
3: No, don't
1: care.
2: Anyway, uh, who cares? <laughs> All right, we'll talk to you next week. Have a good week, everyone. See ya. Yeah, I think. Um, I think. You know. You know. Well done. It'd be well said.